0: To Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in.
1: If I were to give you two million dollars, what would you do? What would you do with two million dollars? Hypothetically, say I were to give everyone in this room two million dollars, what would you do? Some of you buy a house or buy a car, maybe you travel. You put into savings, pay off your student loans, whatever, right? Okay, if I were to give you two million dollars, just think about it. What would you do? Some of you are remembering last week's sermon, so you're you're thinking, okay, I'm gonna be generous. I'll start tithing. I'll give some. Um, I'll support local organizations, social causes. We'll, we'll fight world poverty. Two million dollars. Okay, you got it. The truth is. The average American over the course of their lives will earn over $2 million. But the problem is it goes so fast. So what we really need to learn to do is to steward our dollars and days in strategic of ways because marketers and advertisers um, and big business types, they tend to think more about our money than we do. And so we don't realize how much we have until it's too late. You see, we get so busy in our lives that we don't have time to look at our lives or to work on our lives, which is one of the reasons why I love this series, Every Good Work, because it's a stewardship series. It's helping us to be able to pull back and see all of our lives from God's perspective. And so the point of this series is to to teach us to combat uh, the consumerism and the, the chaos to be able to join God in every good work. Because generosity is God's way to change the world. So if you got your Bibles, uh, t- turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll start in 11, and we'll just kind of work our way through the rest of this chapter. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to continue learning from the 10 principles that Paul is giving to the church in Corinth a church that he loved, a church that he planted a few years prior, and that's the reason why he's writing this letter. And so there's 10 principles that we're we're walking through. And last week, we, we talked about the first three principles of generosity that Paul lays out for the church of Corinth. And this is what he, he teaches us, is that first, generosity reveals the grace of God. This means that everything we have comes from him and ultimately belongs to him. And now, so because of because grace here also includes the financial means, it means even the money we earn, we don't earn it, and we don't deserve it, but it's something that God entrusts to us as his stewards. This means that God is the owner, and we're his managers, and so when we give, what we're doing is we're revealing the grace of God in our lives. And the second thing he taught us was that generosity is a gift. Okay, so some of us, we have this gift naturally. You're givers. You're givers. Others, we need to receive this gift supernaturally because, well, let's just be honest, generosity just isn't our thing. And so for some of us, it's it's natural. Others, it's supernatural because God wants everyone and expects of everyone to get in on the giving because it's the way that we fuel and further the mission of God. And the third thing he taught us was that generosity makes us the most like Jesus. I don't know if you, you noticed this, but last week, Um, The first of these three principles that Paul laid out for us, um, they all have to do with the nature and character of God. That it's teaching us that God is gracious, God is good, God is generous, and God is a giver. And now the greatest gift that God gives us is himself, right? God gives us God. God gives us Jesus. And so Jesus, how did he give? Jesus gave with his perfect life. Jesus gave with his perfect sacrifice. Jesus lived the life we couldn't generously. Jesus made the ultimate gift through his death. Jesus gives us the resurrection in which he gives us new life. Jesus gave us the ascension in which he went to heaven to provide a place for us, gives us the Holy Spirit, which is um, the way we're enabled and empowered to live in this new life. The Holy Spirit leads us, guides us. The Holy Spirit gives us the Bible. Jesus gives us the church, and when Jesus returns, he's going to bring us to heaven with him where he gives us a mansion made for us with this new life in the new heavens and new earth. So God is gracious through Jesus, which is generous, a giver, and all of these things, Jesus is constantly blessing us through his generosity. Okay, so I want you to understand this, is that we don't want anything from you. So when you hear this sermon, I don't think Byron and Redemption just want from me. No, no, no. We want something for you, and that is for you to reveal the grace of God in your life through generosity. So you need to understand this, that generosity is not a financial issue. It's not about your money. Generosity is a gospel issue with financial implications. It's not about your money. It's about your heart. It's a gospel issue with financial implications. So that means you want to be more like Jesus, you love Jesus, you serve Jesus, you you follow Jesus, then you invest in the things that Jesus invested into. It's a gospel issue. See, God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And he is inviting us to work with him because generosity is God's way to work in the world and to work through the church. And so last week, we started with the nature and character of God, in which we talked about the why that we give. So this week, we're going to be talking about the the how. How is it that we are to give? And the first principle, or the fourth one, that Paul teaches us today is that generosity is proportionate to the giver. And this is what he says in verse 11. So now finish doing it as well, so that the readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Okay, here's what he's saying. He's saying for the Christian, our generosity is according to what we have and not what we don't have. Okay, so some of you would say, if I were rich, then I would be generous. That's not true. See, we got $2 million. It's coming to us. What we need to learn is that if we're not stewarding our finances or investing in the kingdom of God now, we will not, cannot steward them when we do. Jesus says it like this. He says, whoever is faithful in in little will also be faithful in much. And the one who is dishonest in little will also be dishonest in much. So if we are not um, investing, stewarding, spending, saving with what we have, we cannot be trusted with things we do not have. So some of us, um, we, we make very little. Right? College kids, right? maybe you, you wait tables, maybe you're a single mom, divorcee, uh, whatever p- position in life you may, you may find yourself, uh, you may make very little. Others of us, we, we do quite well. So maybe you're coming from, I don't know, a position of privilege, uh, maybe you've worked hard, saved well, um, weathered the storms of adversity and after time it, it's paid off and so so you're doing okay right? either way rich or poor we are to be faithful according to what Christ has entrusted us with okay so God's not as concerned about rich or poor but rather are we being faithful see the world would have you focus on being successful right you say I got uh, this much money um, I, I have this size house, I, I drive this type of car, I wear these sorts of clothes, work at this job with these groups of people, right? Now, the world would have you focused on whether or not you are successful. That's why we spend all of our time trying to get all of these things in, in this life, right? We want to be successful because that's when we know we've made it. But God's not concerned um, how much, uh, whether or not you're successful, but rather are you being faithful, See, God isn't going to say when, when you stand before him in heaven, he's not going to say, uh, well done, my good and successful servant. He's not going to see you and say, wow, you finally bought that car. Congratulations. Welcome to heaven. He's not going to be like, oh, you got a boat? Well, of course I'm going to let you in now. No, he's going to be more concerned with whether or not we are faithful. See, many people um, are very successful Okay. When it comes to money, to stewarding, to investing, they can be successful. And even people in the church that we can perceive them as being successful. However, not many people are faithful. Let me, let me show you. I I got, I got some things I want to show you. Here's where we're at today. Okay. So, um, last year, $5.2 trillion. Passed through the hands of United States Christians. $5.2 trillion. That's 70% of all of God's wealth and resources entrusted to his people. Okay? In the hands of North American Christians. 5.2 trillion. Now there's more Christians in India and Africa and South America and China than there are here in America, of course. But out of all the resources that belong to God's children, for some reason, he's trusted us as the United States Christians to steward in his kingdom. 70%. And so in addition to that, researchers have found in this book by a guy named Stephen Smith called Passing the Plate, that every generation in America were proportionally giving less. So as the church gets older... The younger give less. Okay, so those who are in your 20s, you give proportionally less than those who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Now, of course, you know, we, we would understand, like, not, I'm talking percentage wise, not, not actual your average. Okay, so of course, if you're in your 20s eating top ramen, you're gonna give less than those who are in their 50s working at a plant, put some money away, worked hard. Of course, you're gonna give less. I'm speaking proportion wise. Those who are in their 20s give less than their 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s. And every time um, this generation grows, their giving levels remain stagnant. So we're uh, 70% of God's wealth, giving proportionally less. And then the last thing is this, is that um, in America, we live in the most affluent society in the history of the world. There's a website you can pull up on your phones um, called GlobalRichList.com. So if you go to this website... In it, you can enter the income that you made last year or what you're expected to make this year, and you can see where you rank amongst the world's wealthiest people. Okay, so I went ahead and put some in for us here in Beaumont. The average income of Beaumont per family, per household, is $40,000. Okay, that's not really a whole lot. That's actually like 14 less than the national average. So just for the average household family here in Beaumont, $40,000. If that's what you make, then this is where you're at. You're in the top 0.57% of the wealthiest people in the world. In the world. You're in the top 1%. That means you and Bill Gates are in the same percentile, okay? Now, now of course, he's up here, and we're down here, but we're in the same percentile as Bill Gates. And so you could think, wow, that's awesome, me and Bill, or it could sober us up a little bit. I went ahead and also adjusted it according to the poverty level here in the United States. So what does poverty level um, look like in America compared to the rest of the world? If you make at poverty level, this is where you're at. Top 2%. That the, the impoverished, the poor in our country and in this room are in the top 2% of the wealthiest in the world. And so right now, there's a lot of talk right, about, about the 1%, about the rich and about the poor. Okay? And I need you to know that when the Bible speaks about the rich, he's talking about us. It's talking about us. Okay? That's not a political issue, an economic issue. For us, this is a gospel issue. That we are all in the 1%. So when Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he compares them to the Macedonians in regards to the church of Jerusalem. And he's inviting them to get in on the giving, to get in on the generosity because there's joy in that in following through with their obedience. So here we are. Okay, we are of all of God's resources, 70% of all of God's resources, the wealthiest in the world, giving proportionately less. Okay, so let's just Compare that to God's first covenant people. Okay, so let's compare that, how how we're doing as the United States Corinthians compared to God's first covenant people, the children of Israel. Okay, so the people who lived in Israel in the Old Testament were poor. Um, They were oftentimes farmers, um, herdsmen, carpenters, and they lived in rural areas of the nation, and even whenever they did live in the city, most of the time it was because they were slaves, and when they did have a godly king, it didn't last for very long. So God's people, poor and in poverty. What was God's expectation out of the nation of Israel? Well, he expected out of them something that's called a tithe. So that means the first 10% of all of their produce increase and belongings was to be given to the Lord, and it was to be done so through what we would consider today a local church, through their organization at the time. So that's what God had expected out of them, the tithe or the first 10%. So let's, let's, in contrast, compare this. that God's poorest people compared to God's richest people. Okay? What does God expect out of us? Who do you think God would bless or expect more from? Well, think, of course you think of the Christians, right? The ones who live in the most affluent society in the history of the world? Surely God would expect proportionally from them. How do we stack up? The average churchgoer in America gives 2%. So why do you think, why do you think we would give less than, than God's first covenant people? Why do you think we would give less? Is it because the needs aren't as much as they were before? No. Well the needs are more, actually. I mean, as world population goes up, as world poverty increases, as the hurting, suffering, struggling in the world continues to increase, cost of living increases, speed of life increases, but as everything in this world consistently increases, our generosity decreases. Why do you think that is? see, here's my concern. Here's my concern. Now, you can hear this as a condemnation. I pray you don't. I want you to hear this as a concern for us. If things continue to excel at the pace they are, what do you think the future of the church will look like? What do you think the gospel expansion across the globe would look like Now, of course, Jesus said He's going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But my concern is this, is that Jesus will trust those who are faithful, and he' will allocate his resources to someone else. See, here's, here's my concern, is that what we're teaching one, we're just not teaching the joy of generosity. Two, what we're teaching is unbiblical and God doesn't bless that. Or three, we're just disobedient. And now, because I know we have a young church with lots of new believers, um, renewed believers, got some non-believers in the room, and we all come from different faith traditions and backgrounds, uh, what what I want to do, just very briefly, is I I, I want to really just kind of hammer out how it is that we are to give. Okay, Just just the basic how it is that God expects of us when it comes to our work in the world through the generosity that he has blessed us with. Just, just very briefly, okay? Um, in the Bible, there's two ways in which um, God's people give, okay? So first is the tithe, and then the second is what Paul is writing about here called grace giving, okay? So the question always comes down, that God expects more or less, the question being is this, do I... Have to tithe. Do I tithe? That's the question. All right, well, let's just look at it. First thing we'll talk about is, is what God calls a tithe. For the old covenant Christians, um, for the old covenant believers, rather, they were expected to give what's called a, a tithe. That means the first tenth of all of their income and all of their resources was to be given to the Lord. Right, and so in Proverbs it says, um, bring the first fruits of your harvest to the Lord, the first of all over increase. All right, so the first, the best of your faith and your finances belongs to God. Okay, so this means before the mortgage company gets their cut, before Intergy gets their cut, before your kiddos gets their cut, right, God gets his. Okay, before the government, God gets his cut. All right, so that's what it's saying. All right, so the question being, um, do I tithe? Well, let's say you make zero, right? What's 10% of zero? Zero, so no, you don't have to tithe. Okay? But that's not an excuse for us to not be generous. And so some people, we you know, we don't make as much as others. So maybe you're a single mom, part-time job, college kid. So for you, 10% would be very generous. Right? It might even be sacrificial. It would be audacious, and it would be generous for you to give at that 10% level. Now, let's say maybe you make $100,000 a year. So if you make about 100000 a year, 10% for you, probably not very generous. You probably might not even feel that. And if we do, it's because we've been poor stewards at other areas of our life. See, some give more and some give less, but proportionally, God takes care of his church through the generosity of his people. So we need to be careful with how we steward our resources, because we would love to be freed to be able to be givers. And the more money you make, the more money you spend. God doesn't give us a $100,000 lifestyle. He gives us $100,000 to steward. And if God blesses us with that, then we need to be generous as God sees fit. Okay, so 10% for for those who are in poor and poverty, very gracious, very generous. And for others, it, it might not be as much. And this is where Paul is getting at with proportionate giving, what we would call grace giving. Okay, so everyone is expected to give out of the abundance and resources that God has entrusted them with. We call this grace giving. Now, here's where some people would say, they would say, I don't have to tithe, okay, because that's the Old Testament. Right? I'm, I'm under grace. I'm under the New Testament. That's the law. I'm under grace, so I, I don't have to tithe. Now, what I find very interesting because I also happen to believe in grace-giving. But what I find very interesting is that those who advocate for grace-giving typically give less. So so this these two givings are oftentimes at war with one another, tithe and grace-giving. And I want to show you that they don't have to be. That need not be the case. Okay, So they would say, well, I don't have to tithe. The tithe is the law. Okay, let's take a look at that, because I happen to agree with you. But the tithe predates the law in the book of Genesis when Abram meets a guy named Melchizedek. And as he meets Melchizedek, he gives him 10% of his goods. So it starts with Abraham and then runs through the law, the wisdom literature, the prophets, and even Jesus himself tithed. And so Jesus speaks on the tithe in the gospels. He practices it. But yes, you're absolutely right that after the gospels, there's no mention, command, or mandate For New Testament Christians to tithe. It's not in there. So it's never mandated, but it's also never receded. So while it's never receded, because every New Testament standard of giving goes far beyond the tithe of 10%. I mean, just think about it. Some people say, well, the widow, remember the widow? She only gave two pennies. That's all she had. She gave 100%. Okay, so that's not a good illustration for you. Zacchaeus, when he meets Jesus Four hundred percent gave away four times that of which he robbed from others. Four times to the kingdom of God, and Jesus said this: Surely salvation has come to this house. Why? Because when the when grace strikes, generosity follows. And then even we see here in the, in, in in Corinthians, the Macedonians. Right? What did they say? Severe affliction, extreme poverty. They responded with abundant joy and overflowing generosity. They gave beyond their means. They didn't even have the resources. Paul was probably like, no, Macedonians, you guys are the ones who are poor. We should be given to you. They responded with joy and generosity to get in on the ability to give. So New Testament standards always go beyond the old. Think about it. As New Covenant Christians who have received the completed work of Christ on the cross. We have received redemption, received salvation. We have received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the command to make disciples of all nations in the fullness of the promise of God. As new covenant Christians, have we received more grace or less grace? More grace. So then why would our grace be less? See, when you understand that that grace giving is not either or, but it's both and. That the tithe is God's training wheels to get us on the path of generosity. That the tithe is is the, the floor and grace is the ceiling. When we understand this, we don't have to stand before God and give an explanation of why we gave him less than our best. That it's God's path to get us on the way to change the world. Now, why would Paul teach us to give proportionately? Before I do that, I I got one more thing I want to tell you. Out of all those stats, those people surveyed, okay? The ones who were the most generous gave beyond the tithe. The ones who were surveyed who were the most generous people in the church of God. Do you know when they learned the principle and value of the tithe? In their 20s. The least likely giver, single in their 20s. Look around. We call that Redemption Church, okay? But the ones who learned the principle of audacious generosity did so in their 20s. Think about what this church would look like in five years, 10 years, 20 years, if we would just understand our obedience through generosity. Where could we be as a church? Anything would be possible. Why does Paul tell us to give proportionately as we have need? Well, he does so because he tells us that, that it enables equality. This is his fifth point. This is what he says. He says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you should be burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply the need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness or equality. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. There, Paul's reminding him of the old covenant people that in the wilderness, God supplied manna to meet their needs. And the people who would go out and they would grab all of it and put it in as much as they could who were greedy and hoarded it. When they woke up the morning, it was gone. But those who gathered just what they needed had no lack. So Paul's reminding them of the old covenant people in response to how they are as the new covenant children of God. And so this is what he says. He says that generosity enables equality. So God is the owner. Everything we have comes from him. Everything's grace, so everything's God's. God is the owner. That makes us his managers. This is basic stewardship principles. He owns everything. He's entrusted it to me to be able to allocate the resources as he sees fit. So the question then becomes, why do some have more than others? How come it seems as if God blesses more when others have less? Why do some get, why do some have when others have not? Is it because God loves them more? Does God love the the nurse the plant worker more than the college kid waiting tables? Does God love the two-family income more than the single mom? Does God love the church in America more than he loves the church in China? No. No. Does God love the rich more than he loves the poor? No. See, some people would teach this. They would teach that that the more money you make, the more favored you are by God. No. Absolutely not. There's prosperity theology, and then there's poverty theology. Prosperity would say, the more you make, the more God loves you. Poverty theology would say, the less you have, the more God loves you. We would stand in the middle, and we would teach a generous theology. So whereas God blesses us, the grace of God comes to us to be able to flow through us. That's generosity theology. That's what we believe. So, so why would God bless some more than others? And the reason being is this, is that generosity, proportionate giving, enables equality amongst God's family. That God gives more so we can give more and receive the joy of the generosity, that there would be equality within the family of God. I'll give you an example from my own life, that um, very formative to me. Um, my mom had me when she was 15, so she was pregnant with me at 14. She had me at 15, and um, she was unable to provide or care for me. Um, so my grandparents adopted me. They love Jesus. They serve here at Redemption, and they adopted me as a young kid. So I had the I'm privileged to grow up in a, in a good family, hardworking people, um, you know, good middle-class family, instilled great values in my life. So I had the, the ability to grow up in this. My brothers and sisters, not as lucky. My, my mom was, um, I love my mother, and I don't speak ill of her. Um, my mother was an alcoholic, an addict, and continually in abusive relationships, all of her life. So while I was raised with my grandparents, not all of my brothers and sisters had that same luxury. Okay, so every year Christmas would come around. I don't know if it's because my mom conceived me during the Christmas holidays or if it was just because she felt like she had to buy the love of her children because she couldn't meet that need. Um, every, every year Christmas would come around. It would get worse. Right, something would happen Either she would, you know, fall back into her addiction, she would get into another relationship, she would rob, she'd steal, she'd go to jail. This happened as a cycle every Christmas. And so my brothers and sisters would spend Christmas with our family. And while they didn't have a mom or dad, and none of us did, every Christmas we would all have gifts. And I didn't think much of it as a child. I mean, you know, I just love spending time with my brothers and sisters. And so when Christmas would come around, we would all have our gifts. It wasn't until later in life that we learned that my grandparents bought all the Christmas for all the kids. As if they were their own. Why? Because generosity enables equality within the family. With the family of God. See, when God gives to us, with those who have too much, give to those with too little, then two problems are solved. But when those with too much hold and hoard, two problems are perpetuated. See, God gives to us, not so we can live in luxury, but so we can live in equality. God doesn't raise your standard of living. He's doing so to raise your standard of giving. That what comes to you is ultimately God's resources he's trusted you with so the family of God can be provided for, cared for, and the needs would be met within. So, when the world sees how the church operates, they know something is backwards. Something is, is different about God's people than the way the rest of the world behaves. That in Christ, we are all equal. The cross of Calvary, level playing ground for all of us. Doesn't matter. You know, In Christ, we're equally loved. In Christ, we're equally blessed. In Christ, we're equally saved, equally forgiven. In Christ, we are equally provided for, cared for, welcomed. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, or how much money you have in your bank account. In Christ, we are all equal. Okay, so, so your value does not determine your worth in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That God raises our standard of living because he wants us to raise our standard of giving as a church. That's why God has blessed us abundantly more. Not so we can continue to spend it on ourselves, but so we can trust and steward it to the world around us. This is why God has blessed us as a church. So when we, when we look around and we see the loss, the hurting, the needs in our community, what we should not say is, well, the government should do something about that. What we should not say as Christians is the rich should do something about that. When we see those who are in need, who are suffering, struggling, what we should say is, I'm somebody and I can do something about that. That should be our response to blessing the city we live in. We should say say that it's my city, it's my church, it's my responsibility. In Beaumont right now, there's over 1,000 homeless people who live here. I was talking to a representative for Henry's Place and they told us that this year they have um, yet to receive enough coats. Every day, 100 people pass through through their doors. They told me they've not received enough coats. Now, what I shouldn't have said is, well, I hope maybe someday somebody will figure that out. I shouldn't say, well, you know, the city of government, the city of Beaumont needs to have a, a meeting and they can take care of that. No, what I said is this, how can I help? How can we help? That was easy. So here's what we're doing. We're doing a coat drive, and that's a very easy way for us to be generous. It just takes five minutes going through your closet. Hey, here's a coat. Just put that in the bag and bring it to church. Done. We can give jackets to all of the homeless in our community. That is a very easy, simple way for us to model the, the way God has called us to work as a church. But just dream with me. What would our church look like if we all practiced, if we all believed, if we all lived out of the obedience in which God has entrusted us as a church. Because what could our church look like if we were to follow through with this? Okay, so we're going to have like just a a little family meeting, okay? So um, if you're, you know, not a member here, this is your first time, guess what? You could not have come on a better day. This is awesome, okay? Because you get to see how the family works, okay? So we have a saying here at Redemption, if you meet the family, you meet the Father, Okay, so you get to see the behind the scenes. This is how the church looks. I don't know of any other pastor who, who has done this or whatever. Um, maybe I'll get in trouble for it. Maybe I won't. We'll see how it goes. Um, I, I believe in financial transparency for us, okay? And so I, I just want to just let you guys know and so we can dream together as a church, right? So let's just, let's just take a look. Let's have a little family talk for a sec. All right, the basic needs and operations for us as a church to exist is this. Okay? eight thousand per month and that comes out to be about 96 thousand per year all right so that's just your basic operations that's just open the doors for church pay our rent um, administrative costs children's ministry cafe all that stuff basic come to church worship go home church right just for us to operate bare bones eight thousand dollars a month that's no ministry expansion that's no social justice initiatives that's no nothing that's just for us to operate, $96,000 per year, all right? So how where are we coming in at? $5,904 per month, okay? So that means for this year, we have $5,136 year to date, okay? So as you can see, we're coming in just a little short, all right? So we're pulling in about six. It costs us about eight for us to operate, all right? So uh, at the end of the year, we'll kind of come in at a $24,000 deficit. Put that up there. Yeah, so we're going to be about 24,000 below. That's where we're working with as a church. Now, before you panic, before you freak out, know this. I'm not, you shouldn't, okay? Jesus builds his church. Here we go. We have two networks that we've partnered with called Sanctuary and Lifehouse that, along with um, friends, family, and other churches that love you and love us, have agreed to pay the difference, So every every month, we make it. God keeps growing his church. People keep meeting Jesus. Everything's going fine. We're doing well. The church is no way shutting its doors anytime soon because God meets the needs of his people through the generosity of others, okay? So let's just dream for a sec. Ah, you went too fast. Let's just dream for a sec. What would redemption look like if we just, say, met the minimum expectation of God's people? If we just gave at the floor level, based upon the per capita income of those who are in Beaumont, about $24,000 a year per capita, that's including children and retirees, all the way between. Per capita, $24,000. Some make more, some less. Of a church of about our size, our annual giving would be this, $240,000 as a budget. Okay, $240,000, that's $20,000 per month as a budget for us to be as a church. Now, I asked you at the beginning, I said, what could we do if we had $2 million? What would you do? I don't know. What would we do with $240,000 per year? I don't know. But I can tell you this. It would be a lot. It would be a lot. If we would just take the step of obedience to what God has called us to do. The needs of others would be met. The church would continue to grow. And people would keep meeting Jesus. So think about it. When we set out to launch redemption, we knew we wanted to be here at the gig. Okay. Like, we, we loved, um, the partnership that we have with Crockett Street, Beaumont Entertainment. And we love it. But you know, you do know we're not always going to be here, right? That, like, we're going to continue to grow. God's going to do something in this church, however long down the line. And whatever it might be, you know, this is not our permanent home for us. We have a good partnership. We love them. But God's going to continue to move through our church. And so one day, we might get our own building someday. Someday, you know, we might have a new location. But whatever it may be, this may not be our home. We're already pulling out chairs to try to, you know, make room for people every single week. Last week, we had 30 kids upstairs. Two weeks ago, we had 30 kids upstairs. So we're going to have to figure out how to make room how to grow and make space for what God is doing, right? We're already fixing to have to move to two services coming up pretty soon. So we need to be able to, to make room and have the expectations for that. Well, what else could we do as a church? Right? Think about how easy setup would be. But for those of us who serve on the serve team, think about how easy setup would be, right? If we, had, if we had the means and the resources, right? It'd be awesome. It'd be easy. It'd be fun, which it already is, but just think about how we could continue to work in that. Did you know that, that no one who serves in your leadership receives a salary? Did you know that? That they all serve as volunteers for their positions that they do because they believe in the gospel going out in the city, and they love our church. But as the church continues to grow, as more people continue to join the team, we need to look at bringing some people on full-time so they can love, steward, and shepherd our church. Hey, here's a cool story. Before we launched, three weeks before we launched, we bought all of this stuff, so the signs, the pipe and drape, all the stuff for the kids, okay? So before the launch of the church happened, we spent all of that, and we're praying, like, God, we got enough to launch. you got to see us through, okay? So me and Ashley were just praying, we're praying, we're praying. And three weeks before we launched, my buddy Jason gives me a call. He pastors the church out of Houston. He gave me a call, and he said, hey, Byron, checks in the mail. What are you talking about? And I met with him a couple months before, and he said he'd do something for us. So I was like, okay, great. He said, um, just uh, let me know when you get it. I opened up the, the mail, and it said, we love you, we believe you, go get them. With a check of $30,000 before we launched, to launch through the church, $30,000. Hey, guys, guess what? We could be that church. We could be the church that says, oh, what, you're going to plant a church? 30 grand, there you go, go get them. We could do that for others. We could do that for others. Think about the missionaries that we could send around the world. Think about the social causes we could support in our city. Think about what it is that we could do if we were simply obedient with what God has entrusted us with. Think about it. This church would change, change our lives. It would change the city and we could be a part of the good work that God's doing to change the world if we would just take the step in obedience for that. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh, but Byron, I don't believe in religion. I don't trust organized religion. I don't trust redemption. I don't trust the church. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that, okay? How do I know that you're going to shepherd and steward my resources or what I give and you're going to do it well? You're a young pastor. I don't know if you can manage all of that. It's a young church. I don't know if I can trust you with, with the finances. Great. This is what Paul says. us the sixth point. That's what he says is this. He says, generosity requires accountability. Here's the last part. He says this. But thanks be to God who put it in the heart of Titus, who's another church leader, um, pastor alongside Paul. He says, the same earnest care that I have for you, for he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest is going to you on his own accord. He's paying for it himself. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace. Paul's reminding us this is a financial grace he's speaking of that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our goodwill. So when we give, it glorifies God for the good of others. We take this course so that not, not, nobody should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered to us, by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. He's speaking about accountability here. And with them, we are sending our brother, um, whom we have tested and found earnest in many measures, but who is now more earnest than ever before because his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for the churches, they are messengers of the churches, which is the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and boasting before about you to these men. Okay. There is nothing worse when people are generous and the church is foolish. There's nothing worse. When people give... And the church mismanages, mishandles as bad stewards of the resources God has to trust them with. There is nothing worse than that. Okay. And so right now, I know the church has a black eye when it comes to giving. I understand that. Now, most of the time, all people think of who are not affiliated with a faith community, all they see of evangelicalism is what they view on Facebook and on television, That's the only representation that they see. And so, yeah, of course, when you got some, you know, guy with big hair sitting on a gold throne saying, if you give, then God's going to make it rain money from you, right? And That if you just buy this hanky and I bop you on the head, garbage. That's all they know about it, okay? so So for those of us who teach generosity, for those of us who have it as a value for the church that they have, what do we do? right? So we just don't teach it. We just don't talk about it. We ignore what 15% of Jesus's ministry was over, speaking of how we manage, handle, and steward our resources. And so I understand that. I understand. That. So here's why I'm coming at you like this, okay? I'm not I'm not doing it to manipulate you. I'm not doing it in any sort. I'm just giving you the information. You can say, Byron, this is a boring sermon, okay? You're like, this is no. there's no inspiration in this, it's just information. Yes, exactly. I'm coming at you so you can have the facts. I want you to know and make a concerted decision when it comes to being obedience. Okay? Here's what he says in 24. He says this. He says, So give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting about these men. So when you give, it proves that you love your church. When you're giving, it proves that you love your church. You can say it all day long. But ultimately, love is what love does. I love this church. I love you. I love what Jesus is doing in our church. I love it. It's amazing. Every single week, more stories happen. More life change happens. I absolutely love everything about our church. I love coming in in the morning and meeting all of the serve team when we get here to set it all up. Some of the greatest memories I have, some of the greatest moments I have is serving alongside of you first thing in the morning. I love our missional communities. I love sitting around the dinner table, laughing, sharing different parts of our stories and, and being able to experience life together in that. I love, love my church. I was talking to another pastor the other day. He pastors a you know larger established church in the area. And, um, they have the, they have the three B's of ministry. Do you know what those are? Building, budget, and butts in the seats. They got all three B's. So according to those standards, they're doing awesome. So we're having lunch. And he's like, so tell me, you know, we're having a hard time um, with volunteers and trying to get people, you know, connected. How do you guys do? How many volunteers do y'all have? And I said, well, on any given Sunday, um, collectively, we probably got about 50 volunteers. He's like, 50 volunteers? How do you get 50 volunteers? I was like, well, one guy, I can't spell very well, so he edits all the stuff I write. So that's how he serves. Um and, and so we should just kind of come up with creative ways for people to serve. And we got 50 people who serve in some capacity here at redemption. He's like, oh my gosh, how do you do that? And so we got we got the manpower. Right? We got the serving down. So what would it look like if we were to be able to add more to what God is wanting to do through our church. So what would that look like? I love our serve team. I love the stories that they get to share. I brag on you guys all the time. I don't know if you know that. Like, I brag on y'all all the time. I'm like, we're sitting down, I'm like, yo, hey, we got these two sisters. They're on fire. They bring their entire family now. There's like 12 of them. They're They're awesome. Kayla and Alex, engaged couple. I got to baptize them on the same day and then do marriage counseling with them. Redemption, we just had our first wedding. Like Jacob and Bobby Joe got married. First wedding of our church. Yeah, Miss Miss Robbie, she's a a mom to five beautiful, well-behaved foster kids. She invited me to see two of them be adopted. We got the stories to tell. We got stories. The Greenwoods their teenage son doesn't fall asleep in sermons anymore. Praise God. We got stories to tell that God is doing a good work in our city. How we follow him is how we steward the stories God's trusted us with. So out of all the serve team, there's one person y'all have yet to meet. Okay, we have one person who serves every single week here at Redemption, and you guys have never met her. If you've and new to the church, you probably met some of our, our team, but there's one person you have not met, and her name is Karen. I can't pronounce her last name, <laughs> but it's Miss Karen. Miss <clears throat> Karen is our Titus. She handles all the finances of our church, okay? If, if it wasn't for her, if it wasn't for you, we'd be doing prison ministry from the inside, okay? <laughs> so here's what I want to do, financial accountability, I invited, there's your microphone right there, I invited Miss Karen just to share with you um, what kind of goes in, how we steward um, what you give, because I want you guys to be able to trust us. So Miss Karen, she said she's going to come, she's going to share with us, and then you also, you wanted to share something too, right? Yeah, Byron doesn't know, but I'm
0: going to talk about him. <laughs> no, seriously, Byron comes over to see me every Monday, he brings the, uh, uh, all these gloves they feel until they come to me, um, you know, all your cash, everything's safe it comes to me and I, you know, put it in the computer. I have another job I do books for over in Orange at another church. So he comes and sits with me and we just cancel his offering every Monday, uh, talk about your service a little bit. Um, The thing I wanna share is, and I'm glad you brought up about your mom because what most people don't know is I knew Byron when he was pregnant. His mom
1: was pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Of course, I don't talk in front of people.
0: So, just to give you a little background about myself, if I was, of course, hanging out with his mother at 15, 16 years old when she ended up pregnant, I didn't grow up with a real good childhood, uh, didn't make a lot of good choices. And so, fast forward, uh, you know, I decided, yeah, she ended up pregnant, probably not somebody I wanted to be hanging out with. And fast forward about 10 years or so, Got into church, uh, met a wonderful guy, you know, married, my in-laws, the ones that introduced me to church. So I was saved in my uh, early 20s, mid-20s, just like most of y'all here at Redemption. Um, Also, uh, you know, as we started working and growing our family, uh, started learning about tithe. Um, I'm one of those people that when the pastors are speaking about tithe, I'm like, okay, well, God, you're going to have to show it to me in the Bible. I got to see scripture. I got to see something that's going to back this up. So I was one of those people that just started tithing a little bit. I would do like 2%. I worked myself up to 5%. And I kind of,
1: well, it is one of the things I
0: learned that it's one of the only things God says to test him in, in the Bible. It's one of the only things he says to test him in. So give and, and test him and see, you know, what he will do. But um, anyway, so probably about 10 years ago or so, I started learning about fire and I started hearing about, you know. Thinking,
1: That's about right when I got saved. Yeah, so. I'm thinking, wow, this is this kid that
0: to his mom when he was in her belly, and I didn't know, you know, what would have happened to him. Um, of course, he used to come to church, you know, all tatted up in his black trench coat. Ah, not a trench coat. Yes, like, I did not have a trench coat.
1: I gave it to Bo. Bo wears it now, and, so.
0: Uh, <laughs> you know, we were a little older than that generation, so we'd look, and of course, me and my husband would be like, oh my gosh, he was this guy coming to the church. You know? He has something in his jacket
1: <laughs> I asked you to come share about our finances. It's not embarrass me.
0: A I not always this man, but I'm, very proud of the man. He has me home. Thank you. So, um, anyway, so it was a lot for me when I start hearing, really, he's, he's gonna get in the ministry, Byron? Really? But um, anyway, I'm very, very, very proud. Thank you. Be proud of yourself. Um, so, fast forward a few more years, and I'm working with the youth at our church, and we asked Byron to come in and preach. And so it's the first time I ever heard him preach, and I was like, wow, wow, this this young guy that I knew as a, not even born yet, wow, he's really got something, you know. It really touched me. He spoke on missions and giving, and about how you're either a giver, a goer, or you better be praying for him. You better at least be doing something, you know, and that kind of got to me, um, and then I found out he was launching the church, and I've always, you know, for probably a good 20 years, been a... Pretty faithful tither. We've, of course, gone through some hard times and God tested us in that. Um, Anyway, when he went to go launch his church, I'm not, you know, he he would come preach on missions for overseas. So I never was uh, to give up, I was never one to give above and beyond my tithe until redemption started. And before redemption started, I, I believed in Byron. I believed what he was, you know, wanting to do here. And he came and preached on a Sunday morning. I think it was a mission Sunday at community. And he had these postcards he was giving out that said, in Beaumont as it is in heaven. And that just really, really got me. Um, So I prayed about it and was like, okay, God, if you want me to give, you know, what do you want me to give? So I started out really slow, you know, about five bucks a week because, you know, it was above my tithe. So this is truly offering, you know. It was the first time that I'd ever given above for any kind of cause. And uh, see, you don't know this, but of course, I don't make much here. But I reached up to about 150 a month I was given. This was before y'all launched, and I did that for an entire year. That's a lot for me. Um, and then whenever he asked me to do the books here, I was like, look, just go to your board. You decide. Whatever y'all decide is fine because I just knew God wanted me to do it. And he come back and said, we're going to give you $150 a month. So basically I was getting back what I was already given. So I was like, okay, God, I guess I really was supposed to be doing this, you know. So just to kind of show how God is faithful, when we're faithful with even a little, he is faithful with a lot. And um, the main thing I want to encourage y'all with today is in order to grow Redemption Church, it does take each and every one of you, um, you know, Byron's not going to get up here every week and preach about tithe. It's not something that pastors even, they don't want to ask for your money. But in order for Redemption Church to grow and go and and take to the places where y'all can give to other church it's going to take each and every one of you. It's going to take each and every one of you stepping out on faith. And even if you just start out giving that little, little bit, you know, God, you'll see that God will meet you there. He will bless it. And in turn, he will bless this church. So I really just want to challenge y'all today that, you know, I know some of y'all out there have to be how I was in my early twenties. And I'm like, well, God, you're going to have to show me this, you know, seek it out, get your Bible, seek it out. Cause you're going to find out it's in there. And he does say to test him in this. And, um, I just want to challenge y'all to do that. Seek God, because he will put it on your heart, just exactly what it is you're supposed to do. Anyway, it's great to be here today. It's nice to meet everyone.
1: Amen. Thank you. So I knew that I couldn't stand up here on the stage. Um, and Ms. Karen, she handles everything, and she sent me all the updates and stuff. I knew I couldn't stand on the stage and, and ask of you to do something um, that we were not willing to do ourselves, okay? So so yes, your leadership here tithes. And as a church, organizationally, we tithe as a church. We give 5% of all of our income to missions. We give another 5% to church planting. So we split it down the middle. So I knew, I knew we were coming up, so I, I pulled out all the numbers. I crunched them. And um, what I discovered is that um, as a church, we are actually below our tithe. So the first thing I did, as soon as I found that, I cut a check to a church plant for... $1,103 to make up the difference, okay? So as a church, we tithe. So everything that comes in, we also send out. So I was racking my head about what is it that we can do this week? Like, I, I don't want to, you know, what is it that we can do? How can we see this through? Now, here's the thing, is last week I told you this, not to give. Probably never heard a pastor say that, don't give, right? Um, and the reason why is because I showed those pictures, had all the stats, as like, You know, I could have manipulated you into doing it. I could have made you feel guilty. I could have obligated you to do it, but that would not have been obedience, okay? And so I told you not to give. Instead, I told you to do this. I said, go home, count your blessings, make a budget, and work it out, and see what it is through prayer what God would have you to do. And the reason why I didn't, I could have gotten you to do it. You probably could have texted to give. You might have done something, but what would happen is you would have given a one-time offering and maybe we could have paid our rent, But imagine what a lifetime offering would be like for our church. That's what I want for us, to make a lifetime offering of obedience and sacrifice to Jesus because he's made the ultimate obedience and sacrifice. That's our mission. And so here's what we can think about is at the end of our lives, the two million we've been entrusted to steward, what would it be like to get a lifetime giving statement, 200,000, 500,000 of the kingdom of God? See, we got to be the church we want to be. And we got to do what it is that we want to do. That's our challenge for us as a church. And this could be a big day for the future of redemption. If we would just take that step in obedience.
0: Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.